Good morning, church. As you can see, I'm not Mitch. We had to basically twist his arm, and, but we did get him to take a week off. He's been going 100 miles an hour for a lot of weeks now, and frankly, this job is hard. It's a very relational job that we're trying to do through screens and Zoom and, uh, and phone calls, and uh, it's just hard while trying to navigate a lot of stuff. Even in filming this sermon, this is my, my, this is my fifth take of the intro alone. And that's because you have the screen was bright, and then another time I said, good morning, it's great to see you, when I can't. <laughs> but um, anyway, if you've been tuning in, you have seen Mitch finish up a series this last week on life after death. And so we get this kind of one-off sermon from me, and it's a perfect opportunity to get to talk about one of my absolute favorite books. Now, if you know me, you know that I love Lamentations because I'm a crier, my family, we're all criers, I like to cry. And Daniel is my second favorite book. It's extremely complicated, but also very, very simple um, in its message all throughout it. And it's split into these two sections, the court tales, which are these stories of what's happening to Daniel and his friends, and then 7 through 12, which are these apocryphal visions uh, that are a whole other series, uh, a whole other series of series to examine. But we're just going to be focusing on this, this main narrative in the court tales and these stories. And we're going to do that by focusing on chapter 2. Now, up to this point, it's a very similar situation to Lamentations, but Daniel is among those who were taken into the Babylonian captivity in about 597 BC. And the temple has fallen. They're taking the best and the brightest men to teach them their history and indoctrinate them, give them their theology, and kind of uh, bring them into their culture. And these, uh, these four people that we see, Daniel and Radchek, Meshach, and Abednego, have risen up in the ranks. And that's what's happened up to this point. Now, in chapter 2, we see a really interesting story. So Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, rises up and says that he's had this horrible dream, and he needs someone to interpret it immediately. He calls all the wise men, and they come in, they say, great, we can do this. And he says, no, 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 you have to tell me what the dream is first. And they say, we can't do that. He raises the stakes even more, and he says, unless you tell me what the dream is and interpret it, then I'm going to kill all of you. So the stakes are high. Daniel ends up going to the king and says, I can't do this, but my king, I serve a God who can. And Daniel proceeds to tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream is, which we see it's the story of a statue. And it's got this head of gold, these arms of silver, this bronze torso, and these legs of iron and feet of iron mixed with clay. And a rock that's uh, hewn from a cliff comes in, destroys the whole statue, and becomes a mountain. Uh, the rock actually grows and becomes a mountain. Great. So, so what is this about? That's the right dream, uh, but what does it mean? So Daniel proceeds to explain that the head, well, each one of these parts represents a different kingdom that's to come, or that is. So the head is Babylon, this head of gold, and then they're going to be taken over by the Medo-Persians, which are the silver arms, and then you're going to have the Greek Empire, and then you're going to have the Roman Empire, which are these legs of iron, these strong things that support it. 
And then you see the divided Roman Empire, which the brittle clay mixed with the iron. And the whole thing is destroyed by this rock that we'll see ultimately grows to represent the church, the enduring, the lasting church. And so one of the things that I, that I love about this story that we miss is that there's actually a turn on an old type uh, of literature genre, love, specifically love poems, love poetry. There's a type of love poetry called a wasif, and that term may be new, but we see it a few times throughout scripture, mainly in Song of Songs. Now, it's a Jewish idea, but it's also used in Babylonian literature. So this is something that they would have been very familiar with. And a wasif is when you take, uh, you take a lover or someone that you're infatuated with and you describe their beauty from their head to their toes. You start and you say, oh, um, your head is like this. And you use these extravagant metals and turns and then you get to the arms and you work your way all the way down. Uh, so let's look at one of the examples that we see, because we can see this uh, actually in Song of Songs, like I said. So here's chapter 5, verse 10. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Um, coincidentally, also, that's part of Jenna's vows uh, for me. So... His head is of purest gold, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves, it goes on, cheeks are like beds of spice, lips are like lilies. His arms are rods of gold, set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble, set on bases of pure gold. So... While the, the narrative of what Daniel is saying, on one hand, is that uh, these are the empires that are going to come and these are the ones that are going to go. But on a deeper level and kind of a cheeky level, this dream is saying, you are so self-absorbed. You are in love with yourself. The image that you see, these, and it's not just Nebuchadnezzar. These are all of the kings, the Persian kings, uh, the Roman emperors. They all see themselves and describe themselves in these, these wasifs. They see themselves in this narcissistic way. And it's a criticism of empires of men that just love themselves and promote themselves. It reminds me of this poem that you may be familiar with. It's one that I was taught growing up called Ozymandias. And it's this broken statue in the middle of the desert, and it's worn away, and it starts off saying, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Right? And at the bottom of it, there's an inscription. And it's something like, um, all you kings see this uh, and tremble in fear. And the point of it is that the original statue, you would look at it and say, wow, whoever built this um, must have been really powerful or must be really powerful. That's the original intention. But as time uh, and the elements wear down the statue, we see just these legs standing in a broken statue. And the kings see it and they tremble now, not because of the power of Ozymandias, 
but because all kingdoms come to an end. All of these creations of men, the towers of Babel, uh, all the empires, these big civilizations that grow and conquer and grow and conquer, they all fall, whether they're made of gold or iron. Right? And so it's really easy to look at this narrative and say, yeah, these kings were so, um, so narcissist narcissistic. Nothing has changed. This is not just about the Roman Empire, the Babylonian Empire. This is the narrative of mankind. Man builds up. Man puffs up. We talk about ourselves. We self-promote. This is not just the past. And it's not just other people. If you're thinking about this as this other generation uh, or this other person, no, 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 no. Stop for a second and say, no, no, this is me. This is not just other nations. This is us. Because man has this, this drive to promote themselves. And you can critique, obviously you can critique celebrities. You can critique politicians. You can critique uh, artists or whoever. But at the end of the day, we also fall to this too. This self-promotion, this idealized self that we push to other people and say, look at me, look at what I have made, look at what I have uh, made of myself, look at uh, my accomplishments, look at what I'm wearing, whatever it is. We still self-promote like Nebuchadnezzar or the kings that follow in this, uh, Darius the Mede, or Belshazzar, these kings that also fall. And as they fall one by one, Daniel remains constant in the book. Because Daniel is also representative of this rock, which is the church that endures. The kingdom of man, the kingdoms of man, I put that with the, the lowercase k, will never endure. What we do see is the kingdom that was and that already is and that is to come, and that is the kingdom of Christ. And what does the leader of this kingdom look like? What does the king look like of his kingdom? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, not as a king in gold and purple, but as a servant who washed feet. That's the image that we're called to be. I don't want us to, to forget that because as right now we're screaming at each other and uh, there's, there doesn't seem to be any peace, and there's confusion and there's just hate and everyone's saying, no, 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 I'm right. Read my post. Uh, read what I, uh, I know that I'm right. Self-promotion. The kingdom of God is not of self-promotion, but of submission, but of love. The motto of loving God and loving others, uh, the cry of this church, and the two rules that Jesus pushed as the greatest. Right, we have to remember that we're just, in many ways, a speck of sand 
God can use that, but submitting to God, the thing that makes us great isn't what we've done or what we continue to do or what we wear or what we've made or who we are or who we date or what we've created for ourselves, but what makes us beautiful is because we were made in the image of Him who already is beautiful, who is beauty itself, the Imago Dei. We were formed with love. We were knit in our mother's wombs with a divine purpose to love, to serve, to be the hands and feet of the church. And so while we fight over who's right, who isn't, while we fight for a self-promotion, hear the call of Christ. The whisper of the peace be still, the calming of the waves. We have to see, we have to remember, and we have to live the message of Daniel. And that message is that the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man, endures. And it is here, and it is ready. And you are called, you receive this beautiful call into the adopted family of Christ. Adopted as brothers and sisters into the rock that becomes the mountain, the enduring kingdom of God.